is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Charlie H. Ray, we dive deep into the creation of Never Be King. We also talk about getting unstuck, general taste, letting people go, listening, achievement versus fulfillment, daily rituals, coffee, and working through self-doubt. So I hope you enjoy this part two with Charlie H. Ray. In terms of Never Be King, we had been writing a history show for for many years, and we were both fascinated by doing that, um, using history as an inspiration. But there came a time writing that show where I think we both said, okay, we are like 20 years old. Yes, we write musicals, but what do we really know about writing musicals? We're so young. We've never done this before and felt like the constraints that this history uh, had on our show was preventing us from learning things, right? You can't, when you're talking about events that happened so recently, really delicate events with people who are still alive and somebody says, oh, that scene doesn't seem right. You, this person should really say X, Y, Z. You can't go home and just rewrite the scene. There's a lot of care that has to be taken with the storytelling. And while that's a very noble cause, Sam and I were like, the next thing we do needs to give us space to learn. All that last show was about was just delivering on the ask. And we really wanted something where we could learn and grow. Um, in school, I was always obsessed with Henry the Fourth of France, who was like, if you ever heard the quote, Paris is worth a mass. He was the king who like famously converted to save the country. Um, but I wasn't just fascinated by him. I was fascinated by the fact that he was made more interesting by the people around him, which basically, if you follow along, becomes the entire basis for Never Be King. But um, I was like, oh, God, I will not be responsible for the next dead white guy in power musical. I can't do it. I won't do it. And it's not interesting. So why would I? Hmm. So I set it down forever. That was high school. All these events occur meeting Sam. I start to float this idea to Sam. I was like, God, this story is interesting. And his wife was fascinating. And he had this mistress. It was more fascinating. But I can't figure out how to bring it to life. So uh, one year when we had Freedom Summer, our previous show at Nymph, we had a lunch break. And we went to the hotel lobby uh, that used to connect to City Kitchen. I don't know if it still does. And um, we sat down on a lunch break. And we were like, let's really get into this. Let's just see... Um, what this would look like if we try to do it nobly. And we came up with this idea that you tell the exact same story across two acts, but you switch the perspective. Um, so what we've done with Never Be King is we tell Henry's story from Henry's perspective in act one. Um, and then we tell the exact same story from somebody else's perspective in act two. And it reveals um, a lot about how the history, the act one part uh, got written the way the way it did. And it forces you to examine, you know, every piece of history you've ever heard in your life. I'm personally very excited for everyone to hear this. The first five songs on the EP are out now and they sound great. I'm personally curious on your writing process. When you get stuck, how do you get unstuck? Ooh, I am. Uh, I am a such a poor candidate for this question because <laughs> Sam and I uh, probably move a little slower than the average writer you talk to, but it's because we take a lot of care. So for me, like I, I've actually long said that if I could ever just block out 10 hours of my life, no cell phone, no anything, go sit in the woods. If I close my eyes, I can see every single part of the show. I can hear it like when, when I when Sam and I conceive a show, I'm convinced it all already exists somewhere up in my head, convinced there are no original thoughts after the day of conception, guaranteed. 
but it's just how do you find that inner peace and that time to close your eyes and start you know chipping away at the marble um as it would be so given that the answers are already there i all i know to do is just go back to the stuff that you've written that is good because the answers are right there yeah i mean if i write a third of an act then i get stuck trying to get into the second third for me i just have to trust that the answers are lying somewhere in the first third so i don't try to go out into the world for inspiration or look at a cloud a certain way to get my next idea i just trust that everything i need already exists and i just review my work and and try to hit the pavement now i understand how you said you know when you're creating it it's it's you can already see it in your mind i'm wondering are you finding aspects from life that are inspiring you and you're you're jotting those down and going back and saying i have to recreate it heck yeah um it's i i'm a big voice memo guy so lyrics and like music going into voice memos and coming out of the vault three years later is not unusual um and you're right i've actually never connected it to that idea of everything exists uh which is really interesting to think that you know perhaps i'm pulling some things from two or three years ago in a pinch that existed before the 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 whole vision ever did yeah big voice memo guy these if listen if never be king ever goes anywhere we'll start auctioning off the voice memos i'll tell you that how has your taste evolved in musical theater um what you enjoy focusing on or writing or just consuming yeah i've gotten i've gotten uh i i i i prioritize taste in the musical theater conversation i um I'm going to take a small tangent here because it's actually something I've always wanted to say on a podcast. And so this is a perfect forum that I'm going to answer your question. For me, like people really only realize their full potential if you let them run uninterrupted. So in order to align yourself with people and collaborators, you have to mesh on taste. And this is what happened with Sam and I is I knew our tastes were so aligned up front that I had the comfortability to let him loose on songs and realize them in ways that felt uncomfortable or too scary or not exactly what I had envisioned. And I remember that for the first moment he wrote a chart for me that it didn't sound the way I thought it would. Um, Coming to terms with the fact that it was good is difficult when it doesn't line up with your vision. But I trusted his taste so much that he showed me the product. And I just knew, I, I knew because we aligned in taste that it was good. And starting to hit that cadence with Sam has unlocked such powerful things. Like in my day job, I even realized if you if you are hover too much and you try to interrupt people's work to continue aligning and aligning and you don't just let them like run, the product is often really bad. So for me, it's super important to align on taste and then let go. Um, so quick note on taste, by the way, because um, the the perfect solution may not always sound familiar to your ears. You know what I mean? But in terms in terms of taste, um, I think we all need something that makes us a little happy in life right now. Um, the idea that history is like cyclical every hundred years, like we're, you know, we could be entering the second version of the great depression in a couple of years. Like we need to prioritize art that makes us happy. And um, I think in my younger years, you know, with a less developed brain, I didn't understand the reality where impactful and happy lived together for me. Impactful was just like sad and dismal and like important and my taste has gotten a little more nuanced over the years where I like things that are impactful and important and nuanced and also unearth a lot of joy. Um, there, It's hard to write and it's also hard to find in art. But when you find something like that, um, that's sort of my jam right now. How have you gotten better at communicating or listening? 
Yeah, man. I mean, the, the last project we were working on required a lot of listening. There was a huge portion of it where we were trying to expand history in ways that we weren't necessarily the right people to be trying to fill in that space. Um, so listening actually became the more important task uh, um, other than creating. Um, you know, I think I think you can also, I think being a good listener isn't just about, it doesn't all occur in the act of listening. It's about also making space for the people to make themselves heard. So whether that's someone who doesn't feel comfortable in a room for like, a power dynamic or say, um, you know, like an, an actor who doesn't feel qualified to speak up about uh, something or, or a workplace injustice, right? A good listener doesn't only listen to those people, but like carves out the space. And I think that's what I've learned as a writer is that listening is is two factor. Just taking in information well is not really good enough. You have to sort of be actively creating the room for people to uh, want to be heard, you know? How do you view and or balance achievement versus fulfillment? Mm, I think they are, I think they're pretty disconnected. I'm, I'm obviously I won't be ignorant and say that, you know, achievement can't lead to fulfillment. It definitely can, but the thought that they would line up perfectly and um, reach their Zenith at the same time, is kind of crazy. Maximum achievement probably won't line up with maximum fulfillment. Right. You know, if I close my eyes and I, um, did my pie in the sky version of what happens with never be king over the next couple of years. Zenith fulfillment probably occurs before Zenith achievement, right? I've had so many extremely fulfilling and exciting moments on this project already. And, you know, I look like I, I just want to see myself, but also the people around me and the teams that I work with just feel really confident about what they're doing, what they're working on. That is like, Confidence should be the most illicit drug in America. Not really, but it's so it's so um, it's so intoxicating, right? And um, as we get older and we learn more about the pressures of the world and stuff, like it just, everything is built to chip away at our confidence. And I think as artists, we can find a lot of confidence back in the stuff that we're creating as actors or writers. And so, man, I mean, if if we can protect what we're doing and let it give us confidence, that's maximum fulfillment. Achievement is great. Um, but I don't believe it has to occur in order for uh, for fulfillment to take place. Is there a common piece of incorrect advice you either hear in theater or in life? I don't like when people purport that you must be an, like an expert at something or extremely comfortable doing something. I know that's not a, a, a sentence of advice, um, but, you know, I'm sort of I'm sort of against the idea that, you know, you become an expert at something by doing, you know, a thousand hours of it um, or or whatever that is, because I've I've found that I'm most productive and often best when I'm a little uncomfortable. Um, so I think this idea of of like mastery and, and comfortability is is quite overrated. Um, this isn't the this isn't the wrong advice, but I would say my answer to a lot of bad advice is when people just advise others to you're scared of something. Okay. Do it scared. That's great advice. Um, and I don't like, I don't like the overemphasis on, um, you know, reps in the gym or, or, or over preparation. I would encourage people to swing really big, um, fake it till they make it. Um, that is certainly when some of the best moments in my life have occurred. Um, so in the face of bad advice, trying to belittle you for your lack of experience or lack of reps in the gym, I would, 
I would completely uh, disregard and, and tell people to just do something scared. Do you have any daily rituals or any text you refer to often? Does anything come to mind? Ooh, ooh, what a great question. Um, really tacky answer is I drink a lot of coffee and I am, I am a morning ritual includes coffee. Um, hate to be on record saying that, but it's, it's absolutely true. Um, I, I do try to get outside or be like physical every day, which admittedly I've just relocated to Miami. It's a lot more pleasant and a lot easier in Miami than it is in, um, in New York, but not, not to totally be cliche, but my answer to this is really interesting in the frame of this conversation is I, I force myself to be multidisciplinary every day. I never just wake up and have a day of my marketing career or just a day of my writing career um, because that is so unfulfilling to me. So um, I'm always doing two things like sign off of work. Okay, well, let's do 30 minutes of XYZ. It's not just totally deprogram and watch TV. Um, I, I try to keep myself um, attending to the many words in my hyphenated title um, every day. Again, it keeps me nimble and it, it um, makes my brain happy. Along with that, if self-doubt ever creeps in, what is your self-talk to move on through? Mm. Man, it's, I mean, talk about the most circular podcast episode you've ever done on here, Clay, but I, I keep coming to this back to this idea of being uh, multidisciplinary because yes. there are days where I feel like there are days, weeks, months, perhaps years <laughs> at a time where I feel utterly garbage at something at one discipline. But I, I can only speak for myself, I guess, but every time that's been the case, there's been something else going on in my life. Doesn't even have to be particularly exciting. Maybe it was that I, you know, baked a really good pie or something, right? But there's like something else in my life that I felt achieved doing and felt really, you know, like, like worth it. Um, so for me, the answer is always to just look at these other disciplines in your life. I, I would challenge others to really find a time in their life where they feel like they've been of zero quality across every discipline in their life. I think it's really easy when you're feeling down in one discipline to zero in on it be like, this is the bane of my existence. This is terrible. I can't do X, Y, Z. Um, but if you start looking at other disciplines, you might find that there's things you can borrow and bring into other parts of your life that make you feel worthwhile, like bringing in email marketing into your, uh, your marketing campaign for your new musical. You know what I mean? I'm not a, I'm not a great new works business person, but I am a great consumer marketer. So I can bring some of those tactics in and, and, you know, try to do something worthwhile. Um, yeah, I think you have to trust that you bring value all the time and it's not a, it's that you you can't create or destroy that value. You have inherent value and it moves up and down on, you know, two different sides of the scale or in different areas of your life. Um you just got to figure out where your value is that day and lean into it and bring it into where you want it to be. Most gifted books or favorite books? Does anything come to mind? I'm so in never be king land right now with books. Yeah. I'm, oh my God, like life advice books. I am a touch rusty. I can tell no, you fine. that everybody should read a book called the Queens and Mistresses of Renaissance France, because that's a real interesting book. And I could list off a bunch of other, um, a bunch of other biographies. Um, really interesting. Another book about, you know, closer to the self-help angle. It's not fully that 
Um, in my past job, I was working a lot with startups and there's this book called Traction. A lot of startups run their companies based on this book, Traction. And if you read it as an artist, like it probably doesn't super apply because it's about like organizing your entrepreneurial group of people to do, you know, X, Y, Z. There are a lot of really interesting learnings about accountability and um, responsibility and and delegation in there. I think it's an interesting capture at, you know, how people who have an idea and start at nothing, build a business uh, was really fascinating to, to read that. So that's one on my nightstand right now. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard, does anything come to mind? Do it scared. That's a, uh, again, quite repetitive and every, everything remotely impactful I've done in my life, I've done with a little bit of fear involved. Um, so I'd, I'd be a fool to not keep chasing situations like that. Well, this conversation has been so special. Thank you for taking the time, Charlie. As we wrap up, is there anything else you want to put out there today? Stream the Never Be King EP. You can find us on neverbeking.com or at uh, Never Be King on Instagram and Twitter. We are proactive, so we got those good Twitter handles without all the nonsense at the end. Um, and stay tuned for more updates on our show. I know I'm really proud of it. I like to think that, Clay, you're having a, a, a good time with oh, it yeah. as well. And um, just stay tuned to to see what's next. I really appreciate this combo and um, we'll do it again sometime. People of the world, Charlie H. Ray. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.